are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Simon, I need to ask, why do we need to have a life stage about end of life planning? Whilst we touched on this briefly at the end of season one, I got the impression that your advice was mostly be organised. Surely we can't plan how or when life will end. And I'm sure many people won't even want to think about the end of life. So why are we doing this today? You're right, Bex. Many people don't like to think about dying. But over the years, I have observed that out of all my clients, it's those who don't know what happens to them after death they worry the most. For most Christians, to them, death is nothing to be afraid of or to ignore. And for some, actually, they are longing to see Jesus face to face. But from a financial planning perspective, planning for the end of life is a matter of stewardship. It means making the most of what God has graciously given us right up to our final breath, but also caring for those around us who will be dealing with our affairs when we're gone. You say caring for those around us, but surely as we get older and frailer, it's our friends and family who should be caring for us, not the other way around. Most of us don't deliberately want to be a burden on others. As our health or our mental capacity deteriorates, as we get older, it may be that we do become dependent on others to care for us. But if you knew that there was something you could do to prevent that, would you do it? Well, I think I'd like to say that I would, but I know that sometimes people can be a bit selfish and think about how much effort it'll take them rather than how much effort it'll save others. Sorry, maybe that was a bit too honest. Oh, but you're right, Bex. Not everyone can see things from another person's perspective. So what I'm going to try and do today is suggest some steps that we can all take, possibly mostly in retirement, but to make things easier both for ourselves and ultimately for those we're going to leave behind. That sounds good. So what are we going to cover and where are we going to start today? We are going to cover heritability and transferability, tax efficiency, wills, powers of attorney, expression of wishes, deeds of variation, nil rate bans, residence nil rate bans, and the transferability of the nil rate band. And then we'll finish with some comments on, like you say, being organised, paperwork, passwords, that kind of stuff. But we're going to start with heritability and transferability. I would love to come up with an insightful, sensible question But as most of what you said just went straight over my head, I'll let you take it away. Thank you. Okay, heritability. This is the ability for something to be inherited. You might even call it inheritability. Whereas transferability is the ability for something to transfer from one person to another. Now, in the world of financial planning, it's good to know what can be passed on between people and on death and how easy it is to pass it on as well. Now, we've discussed elsewhere that for the majority of people, having a pension and an ISA will meet most of their financial needs. But beyond that, they might end up holding a general investment account, an investment bond, and maybe some directly held shares. So let's consider each of these in turn. There are broadly three types of pension that we need to consider. Pension being the backbone of our financial planning. 
defined benefit pensions, defined contribution pensions, and annuities. Now, a defined benefit pension gives you a regular income for life, and actually so does an annuity. So these two have very similar treatment when it comes to death. Defined contribution pensions are either converted into an annuity, so that's where you you give some or all of the value to an annuity provider in exchange for them giving you a regular income for life. That's generally how you get an annuity. Or the defined contribution pension is kept and then used to provide a drawdown pension. That's where an amount of money is taken directly from the pension fund, either as a monthly income or as a lump sum. So annuities and defined benefit pensions are not heritable. On death, the monthly payments are going to stop with four specific exceptions. Number one, if the pension or the annuity includes a spouse's pension, that might be half of the amount the member was getting or two thirds of the amount. So if the member was married at the time of their death, then some of the pension will continue for their spouse for the rest of their spouse's life. And then it will stop. After that, not heritable, doesn't go to anybody. Number two, if the member, the pension member, the annuity member, has dependent children at the time of their death, typically that means the children are under 18 or still in full-time education, then some pensions, typically defined benefit or final salary pensions, will pay each child who is dependent a small income for as long as they are dependent or in full-time education. Number three, the pension, and often annuities will have this, they may have a guarantee period, for example, of five years. So if the member dies within five years of the pension or annuity starting, then the payment, their income, will continue until the end of the guarantee period, until they've been five years since starting it. And then the payment will stop, or it might then reduce to provide a spouse's pension, for example. And then number four, with some annuities, you can choose something called capital guarantee or capital preservation. Now, this means that in the event of death, there might be a lump sum of the remaining value that is then paid out to the estate. Now, with annuities, generally, there's lots of different options that can be taken that will enhance potentially the value of the payment to the member over their lifetime, but they do come at a cost. So quite difficult to work out what are the right options to take. So we've established that defined benefit pensions and annuities are not heritable, but that some money may pass on to the spouse or children on death. What about the other kind of pensions, the defined contribution pension? So a defined contribution pension is heritable, as is the the drawdown pension that you kind of turn it into when you start taking money from it. There is this pot of money which the member dips into to provide them with an income or lump sums. And if the pension member dies and they haven't used up all of the pension pot, then the remainder can be left behind and can be passed on. Now this time, it isn't the income from the pension that gets passed on, it's the entire pension fund that remains. Now there's an important point to note here which is that the pension fund does not form part of the person's estate. The pension is effectively held in a trust on their behalf. So 
the pension member has to tell the trustees, while they're still alive, who they want to pass the money on to when they die. And this is done by completing an expression of wishes form, also known as a death benefit nomination form. Now, this means that the member of the pension can choose to leave it behind to their spouse or to their children or, in fact, to family members, friends and, in fact, to charity as well. And does the whole pension fund have to go to just one person? Uh, Nope. You can nominate as many beneficiaries as you like on the form. It's pretty common that someone passes the pension firstly to their spouse and then down to their children and, if needs be, onto wider family after that. So if the spouse or children are inheriting a pension fund, do they have to pay any tax on that? It depends. So if the member dies under the age of 75, then the beneficiaries that they have listed on their expression of wishes form can inherit the entire pension fund totally tax-free. They can then choose, well, I want to have it all as cash just now, thank you very much, or they can leave it in the pension and have a drawdown pension in their own name, which they can dip into as and when they want to, but it will always be tax-free when they take the money out. However, if the pension member is over 75 when they die, which is, is far more common, then the pension fund is potentially taxable. If the beneficiary takes the whole pension fund as a lump sum, then they take that lump sum add it to any other income they have in that tax year and they will pay income tax at whatever tax rate they end up paying, which could end up being quite a high rate of tax. Or, to avoid that, they leave the money in the pension fund and then draw it down, whether year by year or month by month, so they're adding a smaller amount of income to their tax bill each year and therefore have lower tax bills to pay. And what happens to the money when they die? So... When a beneficiary dies, any money that was left over in the pension fund is actually passed on to whoever they choose in their expression of wishes form. And the great news is that whilst the money is staying in a pension passing from member to beneficiary to successor, that's what they call the next person in the chain, the successor, it is all totally free of any inheritance tax for any of them. Well, we've covered a number of issues around inheriting pensions, Where next, or else we're going to run the risk of turning this one into another two-part episode? Well, let's consider then our next main tax wrapper, which is the ISA. The ISA is heritable, sort of. You're going to have to define sort of. Well, an ISA is an individual savings account. As it's individual, you can't transfer ISAs between different people. Then it wouldn't be individual. So in most cases on death... The ISA is passed to the beneficiaries of the estate, but no longer as an ISA. It loses its tax-efficient status. ISAs are tax-free. They become, effectively, a general investment account, which are subject, potentially, to income tax and capital gains tax. However, if an ISA investor is married when they die, they can pass the value of their ISA to their spouse using something called the Additional Permitted Subscription, the APS. Now, different platforms and providers... Refer to Season 3, Episode 5 for a full treatise on platforms and providers. Different platforms and providers handle ISA heritability differently. Some will take the old ISA and then just transfer it into the name of the spouse or, potentially, 
add it to the spouse's current ISA if they have one. That's the straightforward method. However, other providers will insist that the investments in the ISA are first sold down into cash, and then the spouse uses the additional permitted subscription to allow them to top up their current ISA or open a new ISA with the money that's been inherited. Now, this APS matters because usually you can only invest £20,000 per year into an ISA. And if you inherit more than that amount of money, you can't just top up your own ISA with the whole inheritance. So the APS, Additional Permitted Subscription, effectively allows the spouse to retain the ISA advantage by allowing them to put more into their ISA that tax year up to the amount they inherited from their spouse. So the value of ISAs can be inherited, but only spouses get to keep the tax-free status of the ISA. I think I'm just about keeping up. Now, you mentioned general investment accounts a few minutes ago, that an ISA converts into one when inherited by anyone except a spouse. If I recall correctly from previous episodes, these are basically the same as ISAs, except you might have to pay some tax on them. Is that right? And I guess that therefore they can be inherited. Spot on. A GIA, a general investment account, is the non-tax efficient wrapper. You can put shares in it and bonds in it, and it will be liable to any income tax that you're due on the dividends or the interest you receive. And you might pay capital gains tax on any growth above the annual exemption. Now, GIAs are heritable, and you can pass them on to the beneficiaries of your will. In fact, there's nothing very clever to say about them. Dead straightforward. But there's one other type of investment that you might have in your portfolio which is an investment bond. Now, there are lots of specific tax rules surrounding these kind of investments. Some investment bonds are heritable, some are not. Now, in short, and if you want the long version, please do feel free to get in touch. In short, if the bond has a life assured, then the bond matures, it ends, it pays out when all the lives assured die. The policy will pay out its cash value. Some bonds that do have lives assured may have more than one life assured. It's only when all of them have died that the bond matures. So adding a younger life assured might be the spouse or the child or a friend. Anybody ensures that the bond continues until you choose to cash it in. And there are reasons why you might want to time the cashing in of an investment bond. More about that in the future. But the second type of investment bond, if it doesn't have a life assured, then it's called a capital redemption bond. And these ones don't just die or mature with the owner. They continue and can be passed on to the beneficiaries of the estate. So we've covered the main investments of pensions, ISAs, general investment accounts and investment bonds. I suspect there's much more to be said, but we should press on. What else do we need to consider regarding end-of-life planning? In terms of investments, one key tip is to simplify. When you die, someone, these are your executors, they're responsible for pulling all your affairs together, including your financial affairs. Now, if you have lots of different investments and pensions and bank accounts and credit cards, then you are going to make their job a whole lot harder. 
So where possible, and assuming it makes financial sense to do so, consolidating and simplifying will make dealing with your death a whole lot easier. And in fact, it'll make the administration a whole lot easier for you while you're still alive. Bank accounts, they're easy to consolidate. Pick one, maybe two at a push, put all your money in them, and then just close the rest. ISAs can be consolidated, can be joined together. Now, you can only put £20,000 each tax year into an ISA, but you are allowed to add an old ISA in to another ISA. It's called an ISA transfer. So what you mustn't do is cash in one of your ISAs and then expect to be able to invest that money into another ISA if it's going to go above the £20,000 annual limit. Instead, you tell one of your ISA providers to transfer the money to the other one, and that's how you consolidate them together. You should only really ever need one ISA, but you can add to it every year if you want to top it up. Likewise, for general investment accounts, you only really need one of them. If you have more than one, then either you can transfer investments between the two, pick your favourite one and get rid of the other ones, or you could cash in one of them and then reinvest the money in the other. There's no limits on how much you can put in. A point to note, though, is you can have a joint general investment account, whereas you can't have a joint ISA because they're individual, and you can't have a joint pension. Now, a joint GIA can have advantages when one spouse dies because the surviving spouse will automatically have access to all of the money in the GIA. Same is true for bank accounts. A joint account is generally better than two separate ones. And what about pensions? Can you consolidate those? Sometimes. It does depend on the kind of pension we're talking about. So annuities and defined benefit pensions, these are the ones that are paying out a monthly amount. Once they're doing that, they can't be consolidated. But as we pointed out earlier, you can't inherit those anyway, so there's no real need to. A defined contribution pension or a drawdown pension that is the extension of it, can be consolidated. But you're possibly stretching into the realms of needing financial advice to do so. If you have got, as many people do, lots of smaller pension pots, then using a company such as Pension B, and that's B as in Bumblebee, Pension B can help you pull all these together without having to pay for face-to-face advice. Okay. Let's keep pushing forward. What's next? Next, wills and powers of attorney. So a will dictates what happens to your estate, that being all the stuff that you own, when you die. Dying without a will is called dying intestate. And it means that a certain set of rules have to be followed to decide who gets what. Now, if you particularly want your spouse to get everything or your children to get some of it, or specific gifts, then a will is an absolute must. In fact, I'd recommend one to everybody. A power of attorney, on the other hand, gives someone permission to manage your affairs whilst you are still alive. But typically, when you are unable to manage them yourself. Now, if you are living off pension drawdown, or living off investments in retirement then I would strongly recommend you set up a power of attorney in case one day you can't manage your own finances. Typically, a spouse would be the first attorney, 
but with children and or then friends stepping in as the second line of defence. I can feel the clock ticking down. What's next? Okay, it might be that a will has been drawn up, but it's out of date, or it doesn't quite distribute the estate as the beneficiaries would prefer. Now, this bit is all about if you are the executor of somebody else who has passed away, or if you're the beneficiary of somebody who has passed away. It is worth noting something called a deed of variation. A deed of variation. Now, this allows that the beneficiaries, provided they are all over 18 years old, and they all agree, they can vary, they can change the deceased's will up to two years after the date of death. Now, there can be financial reasons or relational reasons or tax reasons why you might want to do this, change somebody's will after they have died. Sometimes it's not possible to speak to your parent or a grandparent about their will, about their estate before death. So worth knowing and possibly investigating the deed of variation after their death if you need to. And next, time is pressing. Next is the nil rate band. So Each person can leave £325,000 of their estate to anyone they like free of inheritance tax. That is called the nil rate band. Then they can leave a further £175,000 of the value of their home as long as they leave it to a direct descendant. Also, that's free of inheritance tax, and that one's called the residence, as in your main residence, nil rate band. Add those two together, and that's up to £500,000 that you can leave behind free of inheritance tax. Or if you're married for a couple, that's a million pounds free of inheritance tax on second death. I say on second death because if you don't use your nil rate band when you die, and you pass everything to your spouse, which, by the way, is also exempt from inheritance tax, then you also pass over your nil rate bands. They are transferable. The spouse, when they die, now has two sets of nil rate bands, two sets of residence nil rate bands. They can give away up to a million pounds tax free. Now, there's a lot more to it than that. And if your estate is likely to be over a million pounds, then there might be some value in speaking either to a solicitor or to a financial planner about any steps that you can take while you're alive to reduce your inheritance tax liability on death. And now I really need to press you for your final words of advice, Simon. It's nearly the end of the episode and the end of the whole series. Go, go, go. Okay, uh, number one, be organised. Pull all your paperwork together in one place. Bin any old paperwork that you don't need. Then tell someone, a friend or a member of the family, where you keep your important paperwork. If it's on a computer, consider giving a copy to somebody, a trusted friend, or even the executor of your estate. That's the person who's going to manage your will when you're gone. At least tell somebody the password to your computer and where to find the important files on there. Number two, consider running a credit check on yourself. And this will then list all the financial institutions you have accounts with. You might find some old ones you've forgotten about, or you can close some things down you're not using anymore. It's a very good starting summary of your financial affairs. Number three, get your family involved sooner. Don't wait until you're old, or really old, to tell them about your financial affairs. Your children might just be too embarrassed to ask you about them. 
Trust me, they aren't wishing you dead. They're trying to help you be a good steward of the family wealth. So introduce the topic, make it easy for them. Tell them what you've got, show them your will, show them where your paperwork is. It will take a burden off you knowing that they know your position and a burden off them knowing they can help you plan for the future. And finally, number four, if you've got more than you need, check out season three, episode six on cash flow planning to find out how. Then spend it or give it away. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. Now is your last chance to be generous, to be faithful, so don't miss it. During our lifetimes, money just gets this grip on us. And only by holding it lightly, using it wisely, and sharing it generously, can we be truly at peace with our financial affairs. Ooh, we made it. Once again, I feel like we've just scratched the surface of a topic that could fill an entire season. If any of what we've spoken about today or in any of season two has triggered thoughts or questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us via Instagram at where your treasure is podcast or by email on where your treasure is at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. Season three is now live with eight episodes all about practical financial planning. Subscribe now and never miss another episode. Until then, goodbye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.